All right. Who are my people who get excited to fix things? And who are my people who uh, don't get so excited? No one gets excited. Or I gave you both options. So uh, who likes to fix things? Who gets life from that? Yeah, yeah. Who maybe not so much? Maybe. I find myself somewhere in the middle. It definitely depends on the task. It definitely depends on, like, the area of expertise, how much coffee I've had that Saturday morning, what football game is on. There's a lot of factors. Uh, But in life, sometimes I have the tendency to uh, neglect things that need to be restored or neglect things that need to be addressed. I don't know if... I'm just the only human that experiences that, but there is a tendency to to not move towards the things that I I, I ought to pay attention to in life. And uh, this uh, affected my life in a big way a couple years ago. So it was like springtime. I was having some weird stomach, what I thought were like gastrointestinal issues. And I was just like, ah, this doesn't feel that comfortable. But I was raised in a house that like, thought doctors were a last resort for some reason. So uh, obviously that's sarcastic. Don't believe that at all. Um, But I just kind of like learned to let things pass, you know? And sure enough, in the springtime, this kind of episode passed. And then it came to be August. And uh, Christian Ann, my wife's birthday is in August. I had this really cool thing planned. Uh, She really loves horses. And so I got this horseback uh, adventure down in Jordan, Minnesota, and we went out, and the morning started, and I was feeling okay, but that same sort of feeling was creeping up a little bit. I'm like, it's fine. I got this. Horses, I can get my inner cowboy out, and I can, uh, you know, cowboy up, as they say, and I did. I sat on the horse, and we started to, you know, just trot along a little bit down the trail. It was peaceful. I was kind of like, Zoning out a little bit, though, because I started to kind of get a little feverish, and it hurt a little bit more. It was pulsating down here. And every time Krishnan would look back, I'd just smile, and, and then I was like, oh, not so much. And then, and then so the icing on the cake was like, you like galloped back to the barn at the end of it. And I was like, oh, here we go. And we galloped, and it was just excruciating on the way back. And of course, you probably know where this story is headed. We went home, we kind of, I think we had lunch plans, but those kind of went short, and I'm like, I think I just need to take a nap, and Christian Ann's like, I think maybe you need to go to the ER, (laughs) and so I chose the wiser option, and my appendix, of course, was inflamed, and uh, after a long ER wait, uh, it was removed from my body. So uh, it's just one of the episodes in my life where, you know, I avoid or don't think about things that need to be think that need to be addressed or that might pass but honestly as i reflect on that you know i've got some things to learn i can i can care for myself a little bit more but part of the reality is there's so much in our lives there's so much aches and pains both in our body as we get older but there's so much in our lives that's in conflict all the time there's so much that's not whole in our lives. And sometimes it's just so overwhelming. Sometimes I need, just need to take a step back and take a break. Sometimes it's overwhelming when you sit down and make a list of all the things that aren't in sync in your life. 
And some of those things come to the surface around the holidays. I always laugh at the memes that come through this time of year that are like a review of your New Year's resolutions. I saw a perfect one. I wish I would have put it in the slides of uh, Michael Scott going through a series. Have you seen this? Going around, going series of like, I've got great goals. And then it completely tanks, and then by December, he's just going crazy. And this time of year, we're maybe in different sets of relationships that we haven't been in in a while, and the lack of resolution or the lack of harmony that we feel in relationships or just systems that we're a part of just kind of can wear on our soul if we sit around for a little bit. And that's actually life, in a way. When we're considering what to talk about in Advent, this season of waiting, this season of anticipation, the phrase that bubbled up for us was the phrase, in between. We live in this in-between reality where, uh, Allison talked about this beautifully last week, where we're in between Advents. Jesus has come, and Jesus is coming. And we live in this, uh, there's a theologian called, uh, by the last name of Lud. what a great last name, Lud said the already but not yet reality. That Jesus is already here. There's ways in which he comes into our lives and brings hope, peace, joy, love, the things we talk about this year. But there's a lot that those things, there's a lot that's unresolved. There's a lot of pangs that we walk through in life. Sometimes there's fixes and sometimes there's not. And so what do we do in between? What difference does Jesus make in between? In our life. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a passage from Isaiah that I want to read with you guys that is an often quoted Christmas passage because it, at the end it has this promise and proclamation of who Jesus is. And I want to read it together, and I think I thought of it because it's so striking because it's a hopeful, peace filled, joy infused, loving proclamation in a really hard time. In the circumstance of Isaiah, it's a bunch of different books actually put together that stretch a big period of Israel's life, most of which isn't good history. Most of it is not bright and shiny. Most of it has to do with exile. Most of it has to do with oppression. Most of it has to do with losing things that people hold dear. And in this little section, the prophet Isaiah or the school of prophet Isaiah is trying to speak good news, even in the midst of that tension, in the midst of the real uh, bloodshed, in the midst of the real inner uh, political tension, and just the hardship of everyday life. And this is something that we often quote in Christmas time. Let's read this, or not together, I almost said together. I'll read it. You can just listen. The prophet Isaiah speaking God's words says this to the people. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing their plunder, for as the day of Midian's for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. You just pause there. And 
that's not language we're familiar with. Those aren't things that we're, are normally a part of our lives. But I'm sure you can feel burdened by things in your life right now. Things that it would be great if someone lifted off your shoulders. Maybe you feel like you've been battling somehow. And it would be great to roll up those weapons and throw them in the fire. Can you imagine the hope that was in these words? And then here's the Christmas promise. For us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and the peace, there will be no end. Now that's very Old testament like a lot of Old Testament language there. But I think it's remarkable that God chooses to speak such profound promise in such pain and darkness. What do we make of that? Like, how do we reconcile that with, like, 2023, December 10th, 2023? How do we bring that into today? What does it actually look like for us to hope for this? And, of course, we know the rest of the story. This was a meaningful proclamation of people in that time, a hope to hold on to, a truth to cling to in a really hard time. But we know that Jesus was the fulfillment of many of these words, that he was the Prince of Peace that came. In Mary's song of ascent, when she celebrates Jesus, she uses some of the same language, this Prince of Peace. The gospel writers, the New Testament writers explicitly say, even in Ephesians, Jesus is our peace. He's the one who's brought peace between us and God, us and each other, and is actively bringing peace into the world. But what does this mean? Is peace just the absence of conflict? Is this a political thing? I want to take a step back and give you a theological word study of peace, and you're like, oh my gosh, is this going to be a 40-minuter? I'm like, no, actually, uh, my friends at the Bible Project specifically designed a video just for us. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I want to, us to take a moment here and take a walk through a little bit of the Old Testament to understand what peace means in this context, in, in Israel's context, what it means for Jesus to be the Prince of Peace, and what it means for us in this season right now to experience what the Bible means about peace. So after this video is done, I'm going to ask what stood out to you. So let's, let's, let's have a listen here. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. 
In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. I loved one of the last lines of that video. Uh, and it goes like this. True peace, shalom, wholeness requires taking what is broken and restoring it to wholeness in our lives, in our relationship, in our world. So Jesus has won our peace. He brings shalom and invites us into that work. What does that actually look like when you're staring down holidays together with people who make you uncomfortable, when you're coming to the end of your year and you're like Michael Scott and you're going crazy, when you look at the world for like two seconds? either outside your door or on the news. What does this actually mean? And there's lots we can say about this. There's lots that we will be saying for the history of this church, I'm sure. Uh, with the inventory. That would be help, help know what's on the trains, for sure. There's a lot we can say about this, and there's a lot we will be saying about this, not just Christmas time, but throughout the year. And as I prayed about this, I wanted to leave are impart to us in this season and the time we're in a verse, uh, John 14, 27. This is Jesus sitting around the tables with his friends. He's about to leave. Uh, he's about to experience what he experienced on the cross, and he gives them this verse. And I wanted to kind of frame our thinking about what this could mean for us, maybe push us into discussion a little bit, but hopefully stay with us through this season. He says in John 14, 27, 
Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Oh, this is a little bit back. Oh, those are not the verses. Okay, I've got it here. Um, He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Do not, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and afraid. I love this verse because it's Jesus intervening in our unresolvedness. And if you step back and zoom out from this text, he's actually talking about the impartation, the giving of the Holy Spirit. In many ways, he's making peace synonymous with the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when I reflect on what it actually means to pursue peace, to experience peace for myself, I know that I can't do it by myself. We can't do it by ourselves. It's very hard to do in our world, in our lives, in our relationship. The Holy Spirit is the beginning of peace in our life and in our world. In uh, bringing shalom. The second thing I noticed about this is that peace isn't uh, passive, it's active. It's something we have to strive for. In this, it sounds like Jesus is giving an object, but I think he's giving a vocation. To be a part of Jesus, to be a part of his mission, is to pursue and cultivate peace in our world. He doesn't call us to be peacekeepers, to protect something necessarily, but also to be actively cultivating peace in the world. I, I got this call today, or, or this week, uh, talk about healthcare examples. And it was like, hey, we'd love to schedule an in-home exam in your home. And I assumed it was for one of my kids, so I scheduled it. And at the very end, I'm like, wait, is this for me? And they're like, yeah, it's for you. <laughs> so a nurse practitioner, instead of doing an annual uh, check-in, comes to your home. And so I sat down at my kitchen table, and I had this check-in with this nurse practitioner. And it was all about me turning 36, <laughs> basically. <laughs> And what I took away were a lot of things, a lot of to-dos, but mostly the impression. He didn't say this specifically, but he said, in life, you don't keep your health. You make it. You choose it. You grow it. Because it's passing away, and it's something that you cultivate and don't hold on to. And peace is the same way in our lives. It takes an active posture of dependence on the Holy Spirit and participation with the Holy Spirit. And that's the other thing, that Jesus gives us this peace uh, as a way of partnering with him. And I would say making shalom means joining God in bringing wholeness in our lives, in our relationship, in our world. So before we go to our groups, I just want to root this in a very real practice. Before I invite you to ask what this means for you, what questions you have, what's uh, coming up for you. I have done this over this past week, and it's been really helpful for me in practice to take these words from this verse and just let them infuse the situations of tension or unwholeness that I have in my life. So right now, I have a practice for us to go through. I want you to close your eyes. I'll read the screen here. Close your eyes and bring a situation to mind, a situation where you hope peace to come. Maybe it's a family relationship, a work relationship. Maybe it's a situation that you see in your world or your neighborhood. And then imagine Jesus speaking these words over you. Peace I give you. Do not be afraid. And maybe repeat that until you start to notice a difference. 
Peace I give you. Do not be afraid. George, we're in the middle of something. Can you just wait? Just repeat that one more time. Peace I give you. Do not be afraid. When I've been meditating and doing this in this way, I just close the time by the proclamation from Ephesians 2.14. And I just say, Jesus, you are my peace. Amen. I want to give that simple practice to you as you go into the holidays that stir up different things. Remember Jesus' promise that he gives you peace, that you don't need to be afraid. His Holy Spirit's presence with you is the beginning of peace in your life. So let's turn. Grab like one or two people around you, answer these questions or have, have these questions start conversation for you. What stood out to you? What questions do you still have around this? What difference does this make in your life? We're going to chat for a few more minutes, then we have some more things to round out our time.